tonight part two of our Home for Christmas series because the whole celebration of Christmas revolves around the central truth that the light of the world came into the world, that the world through him would be saved. That little town of Bethlehem, that place that we will sing how still we see thee lie, was not just a dot on a map, it wasn't a pen, it wasn't a place on Google Earth. It was the home of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, at his birth. That stable in that little obscure town that at the time probably had less than a thousand people in it was the center of the most magnificent thing that God has ever done on this earth. He sent his son. Because if Jesus doesn't come, Jesus can't die. He has to first be the babe in the manger before he can be the savior on the cross. Amen? And so as we pick up the story tonight, it's interesting when you talk to people about Christmas. This time of year, virtually everything we get is what we call Christmassy, isn't it? You know, you can go into Vons and there's little stars on the bags and No matter where you go, the gas station attendants are wearing elf hats. You can go have your car washed and they'll actually give you a little Santa air freshener in there. We have strange ways of identifying the Christmas story. And yet the story itself is actually a very simple one. We very often look at the Christmas story from a perspective of our collective memories, things that you have locked into your head, into your mind. And so I ask you as we begin tonight, what do you think about when you think about Christmas? What is Christmas? What is Christmas at home? What does it mean to you? Many of you know Connie and I spent... Uh, about a year living in Austria, not very far from the town of Salzburg. Home of the sound of music. So for all of you that like to twirl around in meadows and sing, high on a hill was a lonely goat herd. (laughs) The Mirabel Gardens are in the center of the city in a park. But just down the valley... Very short distance away is a little tiny chapel in Oberndorf, the Stellenacht Chapel. And it is there that the song that we sing, Silent Night, was actually written. Time magazine in 2014 did a fairly exhaustive study of the most commonly sung Christmas carol in the entire world. And Silent Night won almost two to one over O Come All Ye Faithful. Many of us think of the Christmas story from the position of Silent Night, this little tiny chapel, and it is really tiny. This, this speck on the map, if you will. Silent night. Holy night. All is calm. All is bright. And probably many of you have a traditional nativity scene set someplace in your home. I have one in the green room. We have one in the lobby. I hate to mess with you probably not anything like any of those was not anywhere near that grand not anywhere near that glorious it was not like the silent night chapel in Oberndorf that evening was a whole lot different 
You see, very often when we think of Christmas, without knowing it, we almost begin to think apart from Jesus. And I'm not here to spoil anyone's Christmas cookies. I love Christmas. If you've got Santa Christmas cookies at home, you're not going to hell. Okay, just saying. And yes, I've been asked that question by a little girl about that. I got a Santa cookie. And she was really worried about it. She brought it to me. I got a Santa cookie at school. Am I going to go to hell? And I said, no, honey. You might have to go to the dentist, though. No, but as we think on the the silent night, the holy night, I doubt very seriously that Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber, as they were co-authoring that song, would have any idea the impact. Eventually, the Habsburg uh, dynasty would, would pick up on this song, and it would become pretty much the theme song of Christmas in all of Europe. And if you travel to Europe today, uh, you'll go all over the, the entirety of Europe, and you'll find Christmas markets. And in every one of them, you'll have Jesus. You might have St. Nick, but you'll have Jesus for sure. There was no doubt, and as these Alpine family singers took it around the, the region that we now call Bavaria, they would sing about this silent night, this holy night, this place that ultimately we would look at it and we would say, that's how we relate to Jesus. A night that's holy. A night that's like no other night on the calendar. But for many people, it really doesn't ever get to that level. And you have friends, you have family that probably like this little girl in Sunday school that was asked to draw the nativity scene and she did a pretty good job of getting the likeness of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and even the donkey and some of the shepherds. But often the corner of her drawing of Christmas was this this kind of roly, jolly guy. And the teacher, being a Christian, said, you didn't put Santa Claus in there, did you? And she said, no, that's round John Virgin. People need to know what Christmas is about. We have the answer as the church. Our mission is to tell people about Jesus. Amen? This is the one time of year where you get to be absolutely insanely bold with your faith about what it means to be thinking about going home to be with your Savior. we're really truthful, if we really want to stop and think about it, admit it to ourselves, we sometimes pick up our Christmas traditions in, in a way that we nearly put Jesus on the sidelines. I want to just encourage you tomorrow at your family gatherings, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make sure Jesus is made known. Tell people about him. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them to Luke's Gospel, to chapter 2. As we look at the real silent night, the real holy night. We'll pick up in verse 8 here in Luke 2. And Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields effectively homeless keeping watch over their flock by night working too long, too hard for too little and maybe some of you tonight feel like you are modern day shepherds you work too long, too hard and get paid too little 
Jesus came for you. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about him. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I was emailing back and forth with a couple of our dear friends in in Israel that organize our tours for us. And I'm always pretty sensitive that I'm sending emails to Israel when I'm talking about Jesus. I always sign off, you know, yours in Christ and things like that. But I was thinking, you know, maybe it'd be insensitive because it's Christmas and I'm not sure where Yossi is or Ellie is. I'm not sure about who's in the office answering these emails. And so I signed off, I pray you had a wonderful Hanukkah. And about 30 seconds later, I got a text or an email back, Merry Christmas to you. I got schooled by a Hebrew (laughs) because our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, is a Jewish carpenter, amen? Be bold about your faith. Born to all this day. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, David's city was Bethlehem in Judea. The city of David, a savior, who is Christ the Lord, the promised one, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the one that the Old Testament prophets spoke so often of. Prophet after prophet after prophet, beginning in the book of Genesis and continuing all the way to the book of Malachi. 1,400 years of history written down during that period of time. And each step along the way, the message was the same. The Redeemer's coming. The Messiah's coming. The King of Kings is coming. The Lord of Lords is coming. The one who put away the darkness is coming. The light of the world is coming. So much so that the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 said those very words. Those who walked in darkness will see a great light. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Lying in a manger. We always look at the manger scene. We look at the nativity scenes that we have in our homes. And there's always little baby Jesus snuggled in these, you know, what looks more like a onesie than the real deal. Swaddling cloths were basically the leftovers. They were the pieces of cloth that weren't suitable for much of anything else, and so they would use them to swaddle their children because they were a combination onesie and a diaper all at the same time. Have you ever thought about Jesus laying in a feed trough in an old diaper? That's how much Jesus loves us. He could have come with the regal host of heaven, amen? He could have shown up on this earth with a heavenly host, ushering him into his kingdom. But he was a baby in a feed trough so that we could identify with him. If you're here today and you you have children, you can identify with this whole scene. You know what it's like to be a new parent. You know what it's like to 
suffer along with your kids while they're growing up. You know what it's like to wonder whether you're going to be able to provide for them. You know what it's like when they get hungry and cranky. You, you know what it's like when you take a trip someplace and you, you tell them it's just over the next hill and they don't buy it after the first mile. In that sense, Jesus was human. He put off the glories of heaven to be a babe in a manger so that we could identify with him. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Jesus is the prince of peace, amen? It's what he came to do. It's why he came to this earth ultimately to take the war that we had started with God in the garden and put an end to it through his own blood. Paying the sacrifice of my sin on the cross. That's what he was born to do. It's interesting to me that when you read the gospels, there's really not a whole lot of detail, is there? I've had people say, well, where does it say that, you know, the, the three wise men were riding camels and they came together. It's, well, it's not in there. That's why we, we've put all that, so we've assembled parts and we've kind of filled in the gaps. Matthew's gospel is so simple. It simply says that Joseph had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. It's because the focus of this was that God became man. And so almost everything about the Christmas story is written from the point of view of what it would look like to us as people. How we would perceive it so that we could know beyond any shadow of doubt that this was a man. So that when he announced himself to the world, As the son of man, the the title that Daniel the prophet used for the Messiah. When he finally declared that he is the I am. They would be able to assemble two central thoughts. Aren't you the baby that was born in Bethlehem in a feed trough? And you're also the I am? God and man. Both. Not 75% God and 25% man. Not a glorified man. A really, 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 really good man. But God became flesh and dwelt among us. But he was fully us. Jesus could identify with me. It says she gave her first or birth to her firstborn son and, and wraps him. He, you look at this and the simplicity of the story is almost staggering. It's like, really? That's it for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You think about how you would have written this if, if you were in the place of the Heavenly Father and you wanted to glorify your son. You would have sent a whole legion of angels and he would have been carried in on a, you know, some kind of a golden cloud and there would have been announcements in the sky and we would have come up with all kinds of things. But all we really had was a very normal occurrence in the land of Judea, which was a child was born. The very thing that the prophet Isaiah said would happen for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. God and man. When we think about Jesus being born, I can pretty much guarantee you that Joseph Moore and Franz Gruver didn't quite get it when they said silent night. It was a stable It was in every sense of the word, it was the motel moo. He was there on his straw select comfort mattress 
with eau de camel. It was not as we really picture it very often. Was it a silent night? I don't believe so. But was it a holy night? You better believe it. Yes, it was. It was a holy night because God incarnate in human flesh set foot on this earth. Not something that if you and I had the opportunity to dwell any place in the universe, we probably would have done. When you start to think about it from your perspective, you would have probably picked the perfect planet or made one. Amen? I like to reduce it down to if it was just me on the planet, I wouldn't have come for me. Because I know me, you know you. You know your faults, your weaknesses. And yet Jesus knowing these things was born in a feed trough. That baby would be Christ the Lord. His father wasn't Joseph, the man. Father was the Holy Spirit. That's why that prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 is, is true. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. It was almost 700 years before Jesus set foot on this earth. And by the way, that passage is contained within the Dead Sea Scrolls on a single scroll, the book of Isaiah, so we know it was written before he got here. Jesus came to proclaim the truth. The creator came to the creation. The creative force of creation came to that which he created. And poured out his life for us. That's why it was a holy night. That's why when you read John's Gospels, we've been studying for the last year and a bit. In the beginning was the Word. That's how John's Gospel begins, amen? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then by the time you get to verse 14 of the first chapter of John's gospel, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Announced to the world as Emmanuel, God with us. God with his people. God with me, God with you, God with us. No wonder the angels are singing glory to God in the highest, amen? Up to that point in time, God had never set foot on the earth save to be with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin, God takes a hiatus from being on this earth. He used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. But because of sin separating God from mankind, finally God sends Jesus back to rectify that situation. That's why it's a holy night. God, knowing mankind's problem that we can't save ourselves, he comes back to save us. That's why he's the door of the sheep. That's why he's the good shepherd. That's why he is the water of life. That's why he is the bread of life. That is why he is the resurrection and the life. He is I am. He is the one that the Jewish people were looking for. You see, the truth is that night, the light was really the light of the world. Amen? Jesus, speaking of his own ministry in John chapter 3, says, the light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness. You see, the problem wasn't that mankind couldn't see God, couldn't know God, couldn't express their faith in God. 
The problem was then, the problem is now that men love darkness. That's the problem. People love sin. And so the light of the world begins to shine in this darkness. It was holy because that baby that was born was going to be the light. It would be the the light that can't be hidden eventually. Jesus' words in in Matthew chapter 5 Speaking of the disciples, he says, look, you are the light of the world. He says, I don't want you to be hidden on a, in, underneath a basket. I want you to be on a hill so people can see. Because the problem was our deeds were evil. And when we sin, we sin against God. And ultimately those, those deeds get exposed. When you begin to think about who you are and you think about what Jesus declares about himself, that he's the light of the world. You ever thought about what light actually does in our world? It does all kinds of wonderful things. Light can be reflected. But when light is reflected, it's not a new light. It's the original light. It's just bouncing off of something like a mirror or a prism, right? So there's a light source and then that light can be reflected. It can also be refracted. It can be divided up into its various wavelengths. You see that in a prism. You see the full spectrum. If you've ever seen a rainbow, you've seen refraction. The sun always has to be behind you. So that as the light passes through the raindrops, it's split up into its various component parts Strangely enough, we're about as different as those various component parts of light, aren't we? We are the rainbow. Light reveals that. Light draws all of those colors together. Begins to shine. Light can radiate. Whenever you're sitting by a fire, you ought to be very thankful that light can produce radiation. It produces heat. Molecules begin to bounce off of one another, and before you know it, they go a little bit faster and consequently disperse a little bit of energy, and you go, ooh, that's warm. Can I tell you, Jesus has brought a whole lot of warmth into our world. But the main thing that we use light for as we see it even in this room, is illumination. Light actually causes us to see things for what they are. So when light shines in our lives, we can see the spots that need a little attention. Most of you know when you go into the bathroom in the morning, you sometimes want to leave the lights off, amen? Like, no one needs to see that. Now, here's the strange thing. When the lights are off, are you any different with them off than when they're on? The answer is no. What's the difference? The light illuminates the problem, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I had no idea my hair could actually do that. I was with a group of pastors uh, just a few weeks ago. And one of them who shall be nameless to save his character from further humiliation. Oh, he said I could share. But before he came to the Lord, he used to frequent this particular bar in his town. And, and he was often found there fairly well inebriated. But he, he shared that really the reason he went there was mostly for the company and the fellowship. And they had the best cheeseburger in the world. And he said, so I would go and I would get a cheeseburger and then really bad things were happen. It would happen. He says there was something about the griddle and there was just something about the way the buns tasted off of the top of that griddle and the meat and the cheese and just all of it together. He says, I, I, just, couldn't, I, I just couldn't resist that hamburger. 
the hamburger actually led me to drink. And I said, that's what we call justification of sin right there. And he began to share, once he came to faith in Christ, the Lord convicted him. And he he began to go because he loved the burger and he would just have a Coke. And he would sit down and he'd have a Coke and he'd have that same burger and he'd try and share Christ with people. But he soon realized that was a pretty fruitless endeavor. Because most people didn't want to hear the gospel while they were sloshed. And he realized that he needed to withdraw himself from that situation, but he kept thinking about the burger. And one day he had gotten married and he decided he would take his bride to get this famous hamburger. Shows up at the front door and there's a sign on the door that says, under renovation. He knocks on the door and lo and behold, the owner of this restaurant bar opens the door and says, oh, it's so good to see you. He says, yeah, we were just in the neighborhood and we wanted to come by and would it be possible for us to get a a burger and a Coke? And he says, well, we're not really open, you know, but for you, because you've been here for so long, sure, come on in. And then something hit him. He realized that he had never been inside of that restaurant except when it was dark. And he walked through the tables. The carpet was crusted with food. The tables looked like they were chewed on by beavers. (laughs) He could hardly get himself to sit down with his bride at a table and wait for the meal to come out. And when the burger came out, he realized the plates were chipped and there was little chunks of stuff on the hamburger. He had no idea where they came from. (laughs) You see, when you illuminate the darkness, you see things for the way they are. He politely ate a few bites of that burger and never went back. That's what Jesus did when he came into the world. He turned on the light so that we can see the cockroaches in our lives. He turned on the light so we can see the dirt on the table and underneath the table and in the nooks and crannies of our lives. The light of the world came into the world, but the world didn't want to see the light because the light shined in the darkness. And those things that we used to just ignore, we can now see. That's what the babe did when he came. That's what Jesus did by entering our world. That's what happens when the light goes on in our lives. It's a holy moment. Now, when you first come to faith in Christ... Sometimes you don't like what happens, amen? It's okay, you can say amen. It's like, man, I didn't know how messed up I was until the light went on in my life. Now all of a sudden, that process of illumination is happening. You see, when we think about what Jesus means to us in the Christmas story, What I really mostly think about is someone turned on the light. Someone turned on the light. Because most people who don't know the Lord actually don't even know that they're doing things that aren't pleasing to God until the light goes on. And now all of a sudden it's like, man, what am I doing? Why am I living my life like this? That's why that night is so holy. And in fact, the whole Christmas story is actually grounded in worship. What happens once the light comes into the world, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Simeon picks up little baby Jesus and raises him up to the heavens 
and praised God. You see, that light turned on the worship in our hearts. All of a sudden, we started to realize what we were created for. And just so we would know how to get started, I love this. God sends a heavenly host to help us with the first worship service. Praising God in the highest, amen? And the message of that praise was peace on earth and goodwill towards men upon whom God's favor rests. Is that mind-boggling to you? It is to me that that babe in a manger would come so that the light could go on so we could praise God. That's the Christmas Eve message because that's the message that directs us home. That star hovering over Bethlehem, the other end of it is where God is, amen? So that radiant beam that shone from heaven above was pointing the way back home. You know, it used to be when we were involved in naval battles, we used to send semaphore with a, a method of messaging using a simple lantern with flaps on the front of it making dots and dashes. The only problem is you have to be within line of sight. And as long as you can see from where the light originates to where it lands, you can send a message. So what did God do? He connected the dot between heaven and earth and says, here, a permanent beam, a message I'm sending to you to the earth. His name is Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up right now. And in just a couple of moments, we're going to dim the lights, but I want to speak a couple things into your life. You see, the shepherds returned and glorified and praised God. The magi came so that they could Praise God. Where is the one that is the king? We wish to worship him. They were coming to adore the king. Those who were there were adoring the king. Those who were in the story, to them it was a holy night. And to us it's a holy night. People want to debate, you know, well, Christmas was probably more in the middle of the spring. Or Who cares? Who cares? What I care about is the light came. The light came into my life. The light shone on me. The light shone on this earth. The dot was connected between heaven and earth. That radiant beam from heaven above has shone in my life. The light of the world turned on for me. How do we respond to that? You see, that's where it's up to you. How you respond to the message is up to you. I I know how I respond. As... We were singing as we were praising. I'm like, Lord, if this is anything like heaven, could you come get us tonight? Lord, if this is what it's going to be like when we finally get home, could you come get us tonight? It's worship, it's praise, it's adoration. What we're going to do right now is exactly what happened that night. Because Jesus hadn't spoken to anyone yet. 
He would live his life for 32 years completely in the public eye so that when he turned on the good news, the light of the gospel, that that connection between heaven and earth would be complete because he said it was complete. He said, it is finished until us die. I'm going to have the disciples spread out through the sanctuary now. And we're going to turn off the lights. And we're going to worship. Because that's what they did that first night. They worshiped the King of Kings. They worshiped the Lord of Lords. Sing together, O come. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O light of the world and then he told his disciples you are the light of the world and a city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket but they put it on a lampstand for all to see and it gives light to all who are in the house and so let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And as the light begins to spread out in the sanctuary, remember the light began with Jesus. He was the light of the world. But he turned to the disciples 
And he says, guys, I'm going home. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. If it were not so, I would have told you, but it is so, and I am coming again to receive you unto myself. And he gave them the message. He said, okay, guys, gals, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, I'm passing the light of the gospel to you. You are going to be that light that can't be hidden. You're going to be the light on the hill. You're going to be the one that's going to share this good news. And from Jesus to the 12, and from the 12 to those in their circle of friends, and to the church in Jerusalem, and to the church in Judea, and to the church in Samaria, and then to Macedonia, to the Greek world, to the Roman world, to the area of Gaul through the Apostle Paul, to Asia and Asia Minor. The light of the world spread out. And from that simple evening when Jesus came to this earth, as he shared the light of the truth with the disciples, they began to share that gospel truth with others. And the purpose is what you see in this room, that the light of the world would reach every human heart. He came to bring light into our darkness. He was born on that holy night for the simple express purpose of setting us free from sin and its penalty, which ultimately is death, giving us new life in Christ, making it so that we could one day leave our earthly tents behind and move into our mansion in heaven. And that's why, that is why Joseph Moore said, it's a holy night. Would you stand? Let's see if we can sing Silent Night together. Amen.